like on Facebook, listen on iTunes, and subscribe to this podcast on CorkscrewsAndContracts.com. I was sitting at, at work, and the bank thinks it's a great idea to put mirror windows. You know, <laughs> so you can't see into the bank, but we can see out. Right. And so my, I'm, I was the branch manager, and I was opening an account for a client, and my window is behind me, oh. and it, it faces the sidewalk, and there's a bus stop, you know, so you get interesting characters. Yes. And I'm sitting there, and the client, I see the client's face look up over my head, and he's, he says, there's somebody at, our win- at your window. So I turn around, and he dips down. So he disappears, and I'm like, okay, what's he doing? And because there's an ATM right along the wall as well. So I thought, oh, <laughs> maybe he's trying to jump on somebody that's going to get into our ATM. So I peeked down the window <laughs> to find a gentleman doing the number two <laughs> <laughs> right there in the grassy area of our bank. <laughs> I love how you called it, doing the number two. Doing the number two. It was clearly the number two by the facial expression. joining us for this episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And I'm Wyatt Wallace. We are so glad you are joining us today. We have a guest for you and get ready. It is going to be all about the money. That is absolutely true. But before we get to meet the guest, what are we drinking today, Wyatt? Today we are having a Merlot. It is called Red Diamond and it is from Washington State. Let's taste it. Mmm, I like it. Me too. Man, it's um, it's palate forward, tongue forward. Is that what that is? <laughs> but it's good. It's like it's got. I, I I taste the hints of fruit in it. Good for a sangria. Well, let's meet our guest. Yes. So today we have Tyler Allen. Tyler Allen has been in the banking industry for over 12 years, where he's held many positions like personal banker, licensed banker, assistant, and branch manager, recently taking on the role as relationship manager for First Bank, where he focuses on commercial lending and business banking. He is a graduate of MTSU, where he met his wife, Danielle. They have been married now for 11 years and have two kids, Ethan and Ivy. So thank you for being here with us today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you inviting me out. Absolute pleasure. Tyler, we love to just jump right in. So what are the three things that are super important for someone to know about commercial banking or lending in general? Well, um, I guess some of the big factors is is banks aren't the bad guy. Um, that's the biggest one, you know, especially when it comes to investing. Um, we're out there looking for you, looking out for you, making sure the deal's good for you as well as for us. Um, when you talk, when your parents tell you not to buy a a Mustang at 16, you're thinking, "Oh man, I really want that Mustang," because I really did. <laughs> I ended up with a Honda Civic, which I kept for 15 years, and the insurance was a whole lot cheaper. You know, so we're not the bad guys. So we're looking out for you. So that's one of the main ones. You're um, the parents of banking. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. The parents of money right there. There you go. Hey, I'll take it. You know? Um, God, that is so true. I remember I wanted a mustard yellow Mustang. Mine was green. Really? Stick shift. My friend had it. He oh. was selling it. And, you know, it was... Drag racing was really big then, too. And mm. so my mom was smart. Mine was a white firebird, and I got it, guys. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Seriously. I think they say girls are more responsible at 16. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Well, so we're not the bad guys, um, and I think a uh, relationship with a good banker is one of the most important factors to, to the success of your business and what you're looking to do when it comes to your financing. Um, we like to get to know our clients. I know I do. Yeah. You know, I want to know your story, you know, and so when it's, it's that partnership, and then there's the underwriters that we're trying to express your story in that relationship to kind of mitigate some of the things that may be a little unorthodox in a certain deal. Mm-hmm. And so that relationship's key because we're, we're in your corner. And some people see it the opposite, that we're out to just say no, no, no. Um, but, you know, I approach it the other way. I'm your advocate. And so that good relationship, if you don't know a banker by name and if you can't pick up the phone, you do not have a banker. You know? uh-huh. It's not a bank. It's a banker that's the most important. You know, the bank is where they get their checks from. It's the <laughs> banker that's the important factor. Wow. And then convenience, you know, Trump service. It doesn't always trump service, I guess is, is the way I want to say it. Because you, know, you get these banks, the big banks that offer everything immediately. You can apply online. You get a response so quickly. Mm-hmm. But not everybody fits in that box, that immediate box. Especially when it comes to, into investors. There's always a lot of nuances when it comes to their finances, what their financial picture looks like. And so we like to take that individuality approach. Mm -hmm. And some of those convenient banks just can't do it. I mean, we want to be able to meet you face-to-face, have that conversation. So I think those are the biggest factors when it comes into having, you know, a good banking relationship. I like it. We've had lunch together. Right. And it was so exciting because not only could I ask about individual projects or things that I'm thinking about doing, but we were able to make a connection and a relationship that just kind of continued to grow, you know, where it was like, oh, well, tell me about, I did not know that. And it didn't feel like I went in to, uh, to a big facility right. with my briefcase and hoping that somebody likes what's inside the box, you know? Exactly. It yeah. was just like, oh, this is Tyler. It took the scariness out of somebody digging through your finances to see if something could be funded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of how I approach it. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about it, but people love to talk about their business, but they like to talk about people that do the same thing, talk with people that like to do the same thing. Oh, but yeah. when it comes to the banking, you're always hesitant to explain or talk about some of the bad parts of what's happened in the past. Hmm. And sooner or later, the bank's going to find out about it, you know, typically. And we want it to be known up front instead of, you know, we're 30 days into this underwriting closing, hopefully in another week, and then boom, oh, you had this one company that went bankrupt, you know, three years ago that we didn't know about, then, then we were having to go back to the drawing board. And it's so... Wasting a lot of people's time. Yeah. 
and I, I don't want to waste your time. Mm-hmm. You know, I am the guy that goes I'm on the outside looking in, trying to take the emotion out of it, get the story, and then fight for you. And in a way that, you know, is relatable and you're comfortable with. And that's normally at a restaurant. Or over some wine. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's a, you don't want to go to my office. It's hideous. I'm never there. You know, paper's all over the place. It's, it's not very formal. Some of the things that you really are resonating with me are um, how you are on the side of the person that's trying to get the loan. You say, hey, listen, you know, let's do as much as we can um, to, to make this happen, but we don't want to do things that don't make sense. And it's super easy as entrepreneurs and people that are go-getters for us to go, oh, I can just run at 100 miles an hour in this direction. It's all going to work out. I haven't even asked how or why I'm going to run in that direction. Right. But it's nice to have someone like you on, on the side that says, hey, listen, you know, you're going to have some landmines here because you're not the first person I've talked to this week. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so we have the experience, um, mm-hmm. you know, here in Tennessee, we're Tennessee Headquarter Bank. Um, and so we have the knowledge of what's going on in the market. And so we can say, hey, pump the brakes on this. This is what we see that's coming down the road that could change the way these numbers look, either good or bad. Um, and, you know, you get excited about a property when you see one. You know, yeah. there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, our job is to manage that risk and kind of let you aware of some of those risks that you may not foresee. So, Tyler, what happens when a project or financing goes wrong? Um, first we open a bottle of wine and cry a little bit. <laughs> you know, I want the deal to go through just as much as you do. Um, I'm a portfolio banker, so I'm graded on the loans that are on, on my books and the deposits on my books. So we want it to go through as well. You know, so, but a lot can happen that makes a project go wrong. Um, but like I said, I, it's my job to kind of foresee that. So hopefully we prevent it. In the beginning stages, you know, when we meet for lunch, you know, we're having that conversation um, about the whole story, what's the plan, and how can we approach it. So, you know, 20, 20 days down the road, we're not having a hiccup. Or we already know that this is going to happen. So some of those things can kind of, you know, make the deal go a little sour. Um, but we, you know, I like to see three types of things. We call it the three C's. Mm-hmm. It's uh, credit. Self-explanatory, your credit score. Um, Collateral, um, what's the property? How much can we lend on that type of property? And then the capacity. Capacity number three is the big one. Yeah. You know, so when it comes to capacity, you know, it's we're looking at sources of income, balance sheets, net worth, liquidity, and then experience. So investors, for example, you Mm -hmm. got... A lot of people that are new to the business, yep. you know, they, you, you know, oh man, I can flip, I can flip a house. Man. Let's let's do it. I got fifty bucks in my pocket. Let's they, do this. Let's do. <laughs> and that's how they see it. You yeah. know, they see everybody making all this money. You know, but to a bank, we want to see that experience. We want to see the trend that you've been successful at this. You know, I am not a flip lender. Mm-hmm. I I don't lend to people that want to flip houses. Gotcha. Because um, I am a portfolio lender. I like my books. To, I like my loans to stay in my books. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of work for me, not a cost effective to our balance sheets, 
to come in and do a whole bunch of work and it may stay on our books for six months. I won't mind to be on there five years plus. And so we, I personally like the clients who like to buy and hold investment property. Hmm. And so that experience is very important. And so we can overcome certain things like, you know, your financials. You may not have the net worth um, that's there, but the experience is strong. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about commercial is, is you can just approach it in so many different ways. And I don't like the answer no. <laughs> you got to tell me about three or four times my underwriter has to because I'm like, how else can we do this? Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's adding in another partner. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we network a lot with a lot of people that have the experience. And sometimes it's bringing in John that's been doing this for 10 years to just mm -hmm. help make the deal look better. Mm -hmm. And it can be as simple as that. And so that's typically the biggest factor is that capacity part um, that can really make or break a deal. Real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals? Reach out to Mike Brady at PropertyRecycle.com. They are a large private equity firm with that personal touch. Property Recycle offers an easy online application, no appraisal requirements, and can close within five days. Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615-806-7500. Or visit PropertyRecycle.com. If you're in the Nashville area, please join us for the monthly Middle Tennessee Investors and Wholesalers Network Happy Hour. Two hours of pure networking and deal making. You'll meet brand new investors and wholesalers, all the way up to those that buy hotels. You can find more information and sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com. Don't miss it. Networth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's Networth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. So here's something that a lot of people don't think about when they're getting into purchasing buy and holds especially. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll do the, oh, the cash flow is great and oh, the taxes are low, excellent and um, you know, the expenses are not too bad because it's kind of a newer house. Great, right? Um, and there may be several of them, and so you think all these numbers are great, but you've got to have a job or some other form of income outside of that particular um, particular portfolio or particular purchase if it's not going to cover your personal expenses at the same time. Exactly. Be because a lender's not, you know, like they want to help you out, but they got to know that that the money is going, you know, like it, like if there's not enough, there's not enough, and it's you can't pull the money from the you know the the blood from the turnip, I suppose, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean that's the secondary source of income. And when we fill out, we call it a CLAD, a commercial loan approval document, and we secondary source of income is an important factor into our underwriting because I mean. I had one guy reach out to me on an apartment complex. It was 30 units. Yeah. 
you know, and the occupancy was 100% occupancy. I mean, everything looked perfect. And I'm like, I want to help you get this <laughs> Yeah. You know, but he had no other source of income. So we're doing projections off of if he gets the property and everybody stays in it and the tenants stay happy and nothing happens to the property, it's great. But what if something does happen? What if it's next to a college? If something happens to, you know, what feeds into that apartment complex goes sour, what's that going to affect that property? And we need to make sure we still get paid. Mm. And so that secondary source of income is vital to it. And you see a lot of investors have secondary jobs, you know, that gets that baseline of income and that helps us at ease a little bit. At what level would you say that you get to as an investor to where that second source is no longer necessary? Uh, trend. Well, you know, we use three years of tax returns. And, you know, so if we're if we're three years in and you show that you've got X number of properties and you're getting a net profit on your tax returns that show that staying flat or growing, or we take the average of them then we can use that because the primary source is the lease agreement of the property that you're buying. And so the secondary source would be the other properties that they own and have lease agreements with those. So in that scenario, that could be your secondary source or other properties that you already have. Okay. Wow. So, and that factors into the experience exactly. for sure. Mm-hmm. And I like the point about... Um, you know, it's okay to have another job while you're doing all this. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's actually, you know, preferred, <laughs> you know, does it, does it need to have, I mean, people would say, you know, I, I don't, like I don't necessarily have enough money to do, but I can cover my own things. And is that enough to say, well, great. So then you don't need to pull directly from the portfolio. Well, then that's, that's better. Yeah. So if you have a job that is sustaining your personal expenses, Mm-hmm. and you're buying an investment property that you know you will lease that will service that debt, it's flat. So it's not really a risk that we consider huh. because the, the debt service is done by the lease and your existing personal expenses is done by your already income established. And so that, that, it's, not, it's a no-brainer. Huh. Now, long-term leases are important too, so... Um, if you're month to month, we look at it as more, more of a risk, mm-hmm. um, and we look at the trends of that property itself on what the lease agreements typically are. Uh, so we run that as a factor into it. Yeah. So you hear that, folks. Don't get a property that has leases that are all month to month and then hope for something long term out of it. Like, you got to get those locked down. If the people don't realize that, a lease is your right to collect rent from those people. Correct, and I just recently did a loan on an office building that was fully leased out, but they were all month to month. New ownership comes in, um, we did the financing to buy the building, mm. and she comes in and was like, "These, the lease agreements are very low under market. And so they're presenting new terms on the lease and all three tenants leave. <laughs> but as a landlord, that's what you want. You want them to leave against my and then it's going to pay more at some point. 
You do, but, but you don't want it all at one time. <laughs> now you've got an empty once. building and you really have to pay the money yourself. Right. <laughs> we closed in April and the tenants are all out by July 31st. Oh my god. <laughs> the good thing is the secondary source of income is really, really strong. Okay. And so we knew these were month to months and we knew that they were going to negotiate the lease agreements. So we already foresaw that yes. they may leave. Mm -hmm. And one of the tenants put $150,000 in upgrades just a year ago. Wow. And they were like, no, nah, we're done. willing to walk. Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, those are the stories that we deal with. And, you know, as my underwriters, like, oh, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, they were net profit of $800,000 plus a year in their other business. So we knew they could service it. Yeah. For, you know, really for keeping it vacant the whole time. But we know they'll get in tenants that are going to be mm -hmm. twice the amount of the lease agreements already. And so they'll be back golden in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> right, right. I know you mentioned earlier a type of um, a, a building that you were super excited to help somebody get. Mm -hmm. So do you drive around Nashville and you're like, I, w I want to help with that one, or I want to help with that one, that type of building? Well, I, I do a lot of driving, <laughs> um, and majority of my driving is for land purchases, okay. um, for people that are looking to buy land and build something on it. Oh. And so I do, a, I go out, look at the land, look what's around it. You know, you can look at a sheet and say, oh, well, there's this here and that there. But seeing it in person, you, okay, well, uh -huh. I can easily see the building from the roadside and, every, you know, the potential building. So I do a lot of that. Um, but they all come to me. I, it's hard for me to go out and knock on doors and say, I want to finance this building. Right, <laughs> and I know they come to you, but, like, we ride around and we're like, we want one of those one day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, do you say I want to help with something similar to that one day? Or like, I would. That's what I. That's my goal is to help with something like a high rise. Well, <laughs> one of the main things that I wanted to get into commercial lending is is um, uh, I'm passionate about leaving a footprint on this world. Okay that you can leave behind and there's a legacy and so in banking you know i want to be able to drive around town with my grandkids in a long time from now because my yeah. kids are seven and three so <laughs> i better not have grandkids anytime soon um, and be able to point to buildings and say hey i helped build that you know and so that's what i want to be able to do we do construction loans and so that's I want to be able to see my sign and my face that says finance by in the process. Yeah. And then 20, 30, 40 years from now, I can drive by and say, I helped build that building. And it's part of the Nashville, Middle Tennessee landscape. It's permanent. You just went to Virginia, which is one of the <laughs> oldest places in the U.S. And there's buildings there that have been there for, you know, hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And they're still there. There was a bank that was probably involved in it at some point. And so that's what I'm passionate about. I love that. Leave your mark. <laughs> that is so yeah. cool. Yeah. We do. We talk about generational wealth a lot on mm -hmm. this show. 
and to have the physicality of it and to say, oh man, you know, grandkids. Mm -hmm. That's something we talked about. Granddaddy was in on that one. (laughs) You bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's even something we talked about at our networking event. Yeah. We were, uh, the very first one, you said, everybody needs to be a part of that skyline changing. Right. That's in this room. Yep. And everybody was really excited and pumped about that, wanting to be a part. They're a little piece of making Nashville what it's going to be. Yeah, my tax dollars, for one, is going down. <laughs> but yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, at, at this point, I'm not to the skyscraper level yet. Yeah. Um, but maybe one of these days I am. So I've heard in the past that uh, landlords have the best stories, but I hear you might can change that today. <laughs> right. Or at least compete with that. Right? Yes. <laughs> Do you have any funny, scary stories you want to share about your about lending? <laughs> Thousands of them. Um, every day brings a new experience in the banking world because we deal, everybody has to bank, right? So we deal with all sorts of people. <laughs> um, and I have been at many locations throughout Middle Tennessee, some really nice, some, you know, my <laughs> wife's like, how long do you have to work at that spot? Oh. And so normally the good stories come out of that how long do you have to work out of that spot so actually <laughs> I haven't told my wife this story oh um, I was sitting at, at work and the bank thinks it's a great idea to put mirror windows you know, so you can't see into the bank but we can see out <laughs> right and so my I'm, I was the branch manager and I was opening an account for a client and my window is behind me Huh. And it, it faces the sidewalk, and there's a bus stop, you know, so you get interesting characters. Yes. And I'm sitting there, and the client, I see the client's face look up over my head, and he's, he says, there's somebody at, our win- at your window. So I turn around, and he dips down. And so he disappears, and I'm like, okay, what's he doing? And because there's an ATM right along the wall as well. So I thought, oh, maybe he's... <laughs> trying to jump on somebody that's going to get into our ATM. So I peeked down the window (laughs) to find a gentleman doing the number two (laughs) right there in the grassy area of our bank. I love how you called it doing the number two. Doing the number two. It was clearly the number two by the facial expression. Oh. You know, and within the week, we had the bushes trimmed a little bit lower. So, you know, he thought he, he oh man, no one can see me here. But boy, I got to see it. Oh. oh. So that was, that was an interesting story. <laughs> And then I had another good one. I, I, I got many of them, but another good one. This we opened the bank at eight thirty, and uh, two ladies come in just belligerent, just like crying and crazy, and blood running down her forehead. Oh! And she starts to yell, "I got pistol whipped, and I got robbed at your ATM last night." And we're thinking, "Oh." No, you know, we're trying to calm her down and call the police and everything. And then we have internal security that does our video footage. So wait, this supposedly happened last night and there's still blood running down her face? This would, yeah. 
Okay. As I know, you understand <laughs> the, the theatrics <laughs> to this. She was she was a thespian, had to have been. <laughs> um, you know, and so we're trying to calm her down, and she said, yes, last night I was at the ATM checking the balance, and some guy came up and hit me over the head and made me take out all my money out of my account last night. Well, let's, we're going to get the police involved in everything and, yeah. you know, police come and then our internal security comes and we review the video footage and we start with the ATM video footage and, you know, we can see her face and, see, yeah. you know, the, the action of her getting hit oh. and falling <laughs> down. And then, and then our securities officer says, well, we have another video camera because it's in our drive through lane, so we have one that does the whole area of our drive through <laughs> So we're looking at that one, and we're all around the computer, because we're curious, we want to see it. And we find out that they're reenacting the action. It's three of them, and they're talking it out. You can, they're talking, and you know, they're pretending like the hit, and so they're planning out this scenario before they go live <laughs> for like 20 minutes on how they're going to do it. This is great. <laughs> and we're just like, we're just shocked at this, you know. And so, you know, she ended up getting arrested for falsifying police reports yeah. and everything like that. You know, the sad part of it is, is she had an addiction. Mm. Her husband worked in, I don't know if y'all have ever stayed up late when the direct deposit comes in and you want to know when it hits, and it's typically between 1.30 and 2 a.m. is when mm. processing what this bank was. And so she knew that. And so his paycheck was coming in that Friday at 2 o'clock. And so as soon as it hit, she was going to get all the money out to feed her a habit. No. And her husband had, because her husband knew she had this addiction, so he'd come to the bank that morning to take out the cash so she couldn't get to it. And so that was the sad part about it. But to watch the, the drama unfold, one in our lobby and on video, was quite enjoyed. <laughs> wow. These are great. <laughs> plenty of, yeah, plenty more of those stories. But those typically stand stand strong in the memory banks. Oh my gosh. Okay, so uh, since you've worked at quite a few bank branches or a few of them, <clears throat> our audience, of course, wants to know, is there like a whole table full of cash inside of a vault? <laughs> or is it like... Just change. Seriously. Like, I want to know. Is there like a gold bar in there? Um, it oh depends God. on, it, well, it depends on the bank. Because oh, okay. we get it all the time. We, we, we mitigate risk. So we keep in our, ca in our vault enough cash to service our clients till the next shipment of cash. Uh. Plus we factor in our trends of how much cash we take in. So we keep as minimum as we can. So if someone comes off the street, say in 2007 when banks were failing, 
All right. Uh, well, a lot of he banks used a lot of air fail. quotes right there. Well, folks. actually, see. a lot of banks did. Fail. Okay, so re- uh, rescind um, the air quotes. Yeah, I, I'm rescinding that. But they would come in and say, "I want one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm going to close out my accounts and I want my money. I want that now, cash." And we're like, "We can't do that. Uh, we wouldn't be able to service our client. You got to fill out this form." Yeah, and we got to tell them, "Well, you can come back in a week." Uh. To get your cash, you know, so there's not a lot of cash, but certain branches are really cash heavy. Um, you know, in Madison, there's a lot of car dealerships around there. Oh. So car dealerships deal in a lot of cash. So there would be, I've seen a table full of cash before. Wow. And it gets to a point in banking, it's monopoly money to you. It, mm. You don't see it. Um, as what other people do. I mean, clients would come in and be like, real quiet, and be like, I need to cash this check. I need to see this, see the manager. It's, it's a large check that I need to cash. And they'll come into my office, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And I'm thinking, oh, we can put it into a savings account and help them out. And then they show me the check, and it's like 1500 bucks. <laughs> now, to them, it's a lot of it's money. It's a lot of money. You know? <laughs> But we're like, it's fifteen hundred bucks. You can go see the teller. And yeah. Take care of that. And like, yeah, do, is it? Can someone walk me out to the car? You know, we get that a lot. You know, wow. they're not used to that amount of cash. That they, they, you know, it's like, well, technically, what's in in your hands? It's your responsibility. So, good luck. <laughs> you know, but it's it's you know, twelve years in banking. You know. Hundred dollar bill is just a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Can you hold my wallet? I feel like it's still gonna be there. <laughs> oh, you bet. You bet. That's, that's, <laughs> keep your cash safe. That's our primary goal. Excellent. <laughs> that's awesome. Tyler, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our life. A lot of drinking wine. And- <laughs> no, that's, that's like a great life. This has been a production of Corkscrews and Contracts. Podcast copyright 2019.